You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News. And today was supposed to be a trades day, but big news. Miles Turner is injured, and it's not just a foot soreness thing that's going to keep him out for a little bit. It's something that could cause him to miss maybe a month or so, something that could cause the Pacers to not have him, something that could impact the trade deadline. So lots to get to on the dreadline front, the on-court front. Uh, just a lot to talk about today with Turner being out for a while. Pacers announcement officially said that he has a, a stress reaction in his left foot, which per some research I had, per some um, sports medicine doctors on Twitter tagging me in their in their database stuff and whatever. It's basically like the first step on like a bone. So I can't really explain it. Whatever. It's, it's basically like the first step that leads to a stress fracture, but they caught it early on any stress thing just is like an overuse kind of deal. Um, so getting it now is good. It's just, a, you know, you got to stay off of it for it to heal. So, you know, in street clothes, Jeff's uh, Stott said about a 20 game average missed games in his database for this injury in the past. Um, basically a month. The Pacers announcement was Turner will continue to receive treatment and will be re-examined in two weeks, at which time the Pacers medical team will reassess his status. They included the Pacers medical team thing in there because he got the second opinion in LA. So let's just assume this is a month, a 20 game kind of deal. And it could be longer than that, right? For big men, this is a, you know, foot, foot things can be longer. That said, Miles, for a guy who's been somewhat injury prone in his career, I believe this is his first foot thing. So who knows there, but 20 games from now uh, is, uh, shoot, I, my Excel was right on it and I clicked away. Uh, 20 games from now is the Detroit game, or excuse me, the Orlando game on March 2nd, which sounds far away, but the reason there's that big gap is because there's a nine-day gap for the All-Star break in the middle of that. If you go just uh, naturally, there's about 20 games, 15 to 20 games in a month for an NBA team. For example, in January, the Pacers play 16, right? So let's just say... It's a little over a month for Turner to get to that 20-game point. It could just be like right after the All-Star break, which is a month and seven days from now, he would return, could return to action, could. That is, in in the average scenario, I have no idea how bad his is or anything like that. That's just a prediction of timeline in general. And I say that not just based on the Pacers thing. I mean, I don't think that their t- deadline or their timeline they put in their press release suggests he'll be back in two weeks, but also because Adrian Wojnarowski supo- uh, reported that Turner's expected to get a CT scan in two weeks to check the healing. That'll help clarify a timeline. But sources told Woj that the recovery time could be approximately one month, like I just said. So um, I think that after the All-Star break is about a realistic time uh, to, to assume Turner will be out. From a Pacers-only perspective, and now I will talk about, obviously, what this means for trades in the next segment, but there's 16 games between now and the deadline, which is brutal. So what does that mean for the on-court product of the Pacers? Because we saw... I mean, le- le- this is a little bit lazy analysis, of course. The the Clippers shot ridiculously well from three, but Miles did not play on Monday night, and the Pacers gave up 139 points. And yes, again, that's not all just because Miles wasn't playing. There's a lot that goes into that, but that certainly was a factor. So the first thing that d- d- that jumps out, obviously, the defense will be will be lacking. You know, I don't I don't want to sugarcoat that, but you know, Sabonis will be able to play his more natural defensive position. And I, I've always said on the show, yeah, Sabonis is definitely limited as a defender, but he's better at defending centers 
than he is at defending fours in a more natural position. Perhaps he could be a little more ballasted there. And if you look at the Pacers advanced on off numbers with Turner, where they actually suffer more with Turner off because so the Pacers are 2.1 points per 100 possessions better with Turner on the court than off the court this season. I think that matches what we can see. But the defense is actually better with Turner off the court, and the offense is 3.2 points per possession, per 100 possessions better with Turner on the court. And again, he's been a dy- more dynamic offensive player this year. Their true, true shooting percentage is better with him in there because he is at least somewhat of a threat from deep. But their defense has been a little better without him. Their rebounding gets better without him, stuff that we already know. So I think that their defense in general is less versatile and against a lot of heavy driving matchups will be worse. And there's a lot of good teams that can attack the basket this year. And they have a really tough kind of run of opponents coming up of of teams that like to attack the paint and aren't necessarily three-point shooting teams, the Lakers, the Suns, the Pelicans, the Hornets. I mean, those teams are all coming up in just the next couple weeks. So they will suffer in that obvious way of they don't have the elite rim protector and shot blocker behind them to bail them out. And the Pacers have been a really terrible point of attack defense team this season. I think that's a very underrated reason why they give up a lot of open threes. So without Turner back there to kind of ballast that and, and uphold it and help out when things are going wrong will be really painful for this team. They're going to have to find a way there. So Sabonis could on his own be a little more comfortable defensively, which could in theory help a little bit in, in games where they're not totally overmatched schematically, like against Golden State, who's a little bit more perimeter oriented and you know clay's still limited and steph's drives have been a little different since then and draymond's out right that game actually could be one where their defense looks okay but in general i think they have a tough run of opponents for this kind of stuff coming up so like when they play orlando on february 2nd i think their defense will look great without turner because that team is not very potent at just getting to the rim and 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 putting pressure on you and they're not talented anyway but you get what i'm saying there will be teams where the turner's absence defensively will really help really felt Offensively, like I said, though, they are three points per 100 possessions better with Turner in the game than out of the game this season. That's, you know, he is a threat on that end this year, despite his shortcomings and his role misplacement per his own uh, words. And, you know, he, he has never been the guy to seize the opportunity. I don't want to get into that here, but they are good on offense when he's in there because he can be a threat, because he can put the ball on the floor. He's added a little bit, enough versatility to his game to still be a threat even when he's having off nights like he has this entire month. So I think they'll actually suffer a little bit more offensively in the long term. We'll see how that actually shakes out to be the case. Um, But maybe they won't. Maybe they'll find a little bit of equilibrium and rhythm. I mean, he's only missed one game prior to the Clippers game. Prior to this injury, he only missed one game this season. So perhaps when the Pacers play more without him, they will kind of discover a groove and how they can play without Miles Turner. But so far this season, they've played better with him on the floor than off the full than off the floor on offense. So perhaps they could take a little step forward offense or defensively and a little step back offensively. That's what the numbers suggest will happen. But just using our intuition, we don't have to only rely on the numbers. The defense will certainly be worse in a lot of matchups and the offense will be a little bit better and more fluid and role defined once, you know, all the guys get into their correct role. So we'll see what happens going forward. I think that is something to monitor. But the other on court thing to that will change is that the rotation is going to change, right? That's the biggest one is that Goga is going to be able to play more. I suggested this on Monday's podcast. I should have knocked on wood apparently when I said it, but the Patriots should be trying to find minutes for Goga every game. Now they obviously can. He'll be the backup center. He was excellent, excellent against the Clippers on Monday, his best career game by far. I mean, basketball reference has this thing called game score where they, that they used to evaluate your effectiveness in a game. Goga's highest this season before Monday was 8.9. It was 19.3 on Monday, he played his most minutes of the season. If he can continue to have games like that, I mean, it's going to be fine to keep playing him. But from a development standpoint, that's that's big for the Pacers. They'll be able to play him. And if he can play like that, they won't necessarily miss as much of a beat on the floor with him playing. So good opportunity for development with him. 
uh, for Goga going forward. And maybe Isaiah Jackson can steal a few minutes there if there's some foul trouble, which is good as well. They would like to develop him and see what they have in him. And I think this is an opportunity for a couple things, too, that are nice. Like Lance will now be able to play with bigs he fits better with more often now, right? Like he wasn't playing with Sabonis much against the Clippers. That didn't make a whole lot of sense. I think this is an opportunity to see Duarte plus Goga minutes, which is important. I talked about that on a podcast about a month ago that the Pacers need to be trying to mix and match these young guys. So that's kind of there are some pluses that come out of this, especially for a 15 and 29 team that needs to be finding ways to mix and match lineups. Anyway, 23 year old O'Shea Brissett, for example, could be a beneficiary as well. That's another guy you want to figure out how he fits with other players on your roster. So there are some benefits in that way. And that's that's true of any injury that would have happened on this Pacers team. But Goga specifically, who'd been buried, needed this opportunity. So for him, it's a big opportunity. If he can play well going forward, that could make any trading miles band-aid hurt a little less. But I think the Pacers are going to really suffer a bit on defense, especially with their schedule coming up. And maybe stabilize would be a little bit better on offense. But I talked about the trade stuff, and that's the obvious undertones that come from a player getting hurt on January 18th when the trade deadline is on February 10th. So let's talk about what this could mean for the trade deadline for Turner. But first, let's take a short little break and talk about the good folks over at Prize Picks, who I've been telling you about for months. And if you haven't signed up yet, now is the perfect time because for a limited time, Prize Picks was the best NBA DFS props on the market. They have an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our listeners. $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point in that entry, but you got to use the code NBA when you sign up. Exclusive offer for lockdown listeners. Just use the code NBA when you sign up. They have more props than any other DFS prop operator. All the superstars, all the bench guys who only record a handful of minutes. They offer any prop you can think of points, assists, rebounds, threes made, you name it, they've got it. You've got to check it out over at prizepicks.com. And remember, if you use that code NBA, you can get $50 for free if any player in your entry scores a single point. So again, go to prizepicks.com or go to your app store, download that app. Do your deposit, use the promo code NBA, and you'll get $50 for free if your first entry scores a single point. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. Thank you for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. Obviously, big impact on the trade market here on the Miles Turner injury front. That's specifically called out in Woj's piece, who said, first of all, that Turner is expected to be sidelined beyond the February 10th trade deadline. This is Woj's words. With a stretch reaction in his left foot complicating the franchise's hopes to deal him prior to the offseason. Interesting verbiage there. I think that Turner being the most likely guy to get traded was no secret anymore after his public declaring that he wanted a bigger role, after you know his This Ain't P tweet, after several the team being 15 and 29 and him only having 1.5 years on his deal left. Many reasons. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure this stuff out. He's the most likely guy to get moved, but seeing the franchise's hopes to move him was was pretty interesting to me to read that. I'm probably reading between the lines too much. If he is out past the deadline, which seems exceedingly likely given this, and I know that you know Woj says that he's been central in the Pacers' plans to reshape an underachieving roster. Um, you know, he even puts in here, and this is where I kind of went when I first saw this news. Woj says a stretch reaction isn't an injury that will frighten teams away from Turner, but his inactivity and recovery time could temper offers to the Pacers. So I kind of was confused by that because those two things kind of seem to butt heads a little bit. But to me, and that's why I talked about the timeline in the opening segment, if he's only going to be out through the All-Star break and the amount of time between the deadline and the All-Star break, which starts on the 17th, I believe, or the 16th is like a week. You know, I don't think that because so let's back up and talk about the trade market in general this year, right? The reason that it's slower now and that not, not much has happened. Cam Reddish got traded and Rajon Rondo got traded. And that's like the only somewhat interesting stuff that's happened so far 
is because since the play-in tournament got introduced last year, a lot more teams think they're in it, or a lot of teams would like to know at the last possible moment before they pull triggers on deals what their situation is, what their likely season outcomes are. And so fewer teams are sellers, and the offers change more because teams kind of change their plans more later in the season because you know so many teams in the league right now can convince themselves that they're right there in the in the situation where they can go oh man if we just have one big run in whatever month we we're right in the thick of it like the hawks are the 12 seed in the east and they are four games out of the plan and like they would obviously like to be there they were in the conference finals last year so that's 12 teams in the east basically every team above the pacers that would probably like to be a buyer and get a little better right if you go to the west outside of okc who is four out of the plan, like the Pelicans are two and a half out and they're 13th. There's 13 teams in the West that would probably like to get better and reach the postseason. So there's so many teams that are buyers that if you're – that, you know, maybe they stay there, but they would like to know at the, if they're going to pivot and sell, they, they want to wait as long as possible just to be safe. They don't want to shoot themselves in the foot. So that's why it's taking longer for the the market to kind of idealize this year and come to fruition and why the, the trades are a little going to be a little more delayed, I think, in every season going forward with the plan tournament as a thing, especially as so many teams are trying to compete. I mean, even be with beyond the plan tournament, 25 teams going going for it, air quotes, a little bit there all at the same time is sort of unheard of in the NBA ecosystem. And the Pacers, honestly, or Herb Simon likes to go for it. So make it 26 if you want. So I say all that to say in regards to Turner that I wouldn't think, even if the Pacers did have hopes of moving him as this suggests and as our intuition kind of guides us to, and if Turner himself would like to be moved as you know, maybe he 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 didn't say that necessarily. He even went out of his way to say, "No, I didn't want to be traded. I just want more role clarity and want you know to be more than a glorified role player." Okay, sure. All these things don't necessarily individually mean he wants to be traded, but if you put them all together, I mean, it doesn't take again, it doesn't take a brain, a rocket scientist, a brain surgeon, whatever, to figure out that he was somewhat likely to be dealt in the coming weeks. And the reason that all this is important is I think it would have happened close to the deadline anyway because all these teams want the clarity and the Pacers themselves want the clarity because. Until teams know their direction, they're not going to make their offer or make the best possible offer. So I think that he wouldn't have been dealt until early February, as close to the deadline as possible anyway. That's a long-winded reason to say because if he's only out for a month, you know that's that's the part that's key here, and he can return right after the All-Star break. Any team receiving him that would have traded for him about that time anyway, they only would lose about six or three games of value from him, and that's not nothing. But I don't think it's enough to like substantially – lower the offers i think i get why it would lower the offers because you just don't know right he could be worse he could it could be something that keeps him out even longer than expected he has to pass a physical to even do the trade so or for some teams at least so perhaps that 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 isn't a fear but i just think in general you know i don't think it'll lower the offers too much um and the reason the reason i think that's important is because you know in the in the report it says the hopes to move him before the offseason sure that's something but you know, with him, I think it's I've always been pretty on the train of like, this is the season to do it because I suppose in the offseason before free agency, he would still have some value, but he becomes an expiring contract next year. And then the team trading for him has to either immediately pay him more money or know they're going to be able to resign him in a year. And that is always risky for teams to know that the guy's a rental sometimes. And yes, expiring contracts have some value, but not when it's a good player or a guy who could leave your team. So trading for, trading him now has way more value than waiting until may, draft night might have some value, but either way, the earlier the Pacers are able to do it, the better. So this is a long-winded way of me saying I still think that the Pacers will have the motivation to do it this around this time, and I don't think, given the timelines we that have kind of been become public and the historical research about similar injuries, 
that I don't think this will change the market too much, just a little bit. Like if you're a team that was like somewhat interested in Turner, you're probably out now, right? Like that that is where the damage is really going to be done. Like like I think I saw a fake Mavs offer from Eric Pincus and Bleacher Report that was like Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith or Brunson or something like that. If it's just Dorian and Dwight, like that's that's low interest anyway. They're probably out now in interest, right? So if they're more interested than that and they're offering more, sure, they're probably still in it. Maybe they're taking stuff out. I don't know exactly what all these teams are thinking, but that's where the, the crippling part of this is for the Pacers is if there was a team that had limited interest, they're probably out now. And that doesn't sound like it means anything if you're a fan. You're like, you only want the big teams that are interested and willing to trade a lot. Sure, but any team that drops out of the running, that still lowers the value for a guy. That's less teams bidding. That's less teams competing. That's less options available for three-team deals. That's just less stuff you know is available and can do. So... I think my thesis to all this would – thesis is the wrong word. My takeaway to all this would be, does Turner's injury impact his his trade value? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because there's going to be less teams involved now, and you know, the, getting back maximum value is a little harder, and, and, and you know, that's another consideration for the team now. Let's say they think they can get better value around the draft as teams kind of get desperate before free agency to fill holes, or they realize they're not going to get the guy they want in free agency – Maybe the Pacers think about not doing it till then. I think his value is going to be higher now still with this injury than then, but that's up for the Pacers and other teams to decide if they hold him onto him now for that reason. I would not fault them, although I think that, you know, if Turner would, would if, if Turner was of the mind of being being like to be moved now, I don't know that he is or isn't. You know, maybe that could be a little frustrating for him. But anyway, that could be another reason a trade doesn't happen now is the Pacers realize they could get a better offer then. But I don't think that's the case. So what I think is, yeah, the offers will be a little bit worse like a, a very small amount because there's a l- few less bidders and obviously his value is less. He's playing fewer games for you going forward. But I don't think it will slow things down to the point of like he's untradeable or like this drastically changes the deadline. You know, like wh- where this could r- impact Pacers more is like Rashawn Holmes is an example I'll use, but not the example. But just any other center that was available that's like close to Turner in value, you might be more interested in that guy now if you're a competing team who wants to get a center in the trade market and that's where this could hurt is that an interested team that could want Turner fills the hole with a different guy instead and that's that's another less bitter right so yes I think that Turner's injury definitely impacts his trade market and maybe makes the Pacers say okay we'll think about draft night instead of this but I I I ultimately think that his value is going to be similar enough and that they 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 got like obviously this is bad and unlucky but they got lucky ish that it wasn't like a week later or two weeks later that this would have held him out for way past the, the all-star break where teams would be missing him. The new team he was on, if he was dealt, would be missing him for 20 or so games on their own. So a little bit of fortune, a little bit of misfortune. Maybe that's a little Pacers colored glasses of me to be thinking that way, but you know, the, the timing is what it is. It's, it's bad luck for the Pacers that this happened, but I don't think it's going to impact the trade market too much. That's just my two cents. We'll see how it actually shakes out in the coming weeks. And speaking of the coming weeks, let's talk about the trade market in general because, and I'm going to start with this with the Cam Radish thing because People were upset that the Pacers did not get in on that trade. So I want to talk about the Pacers' trade market thoughts, a little big picture. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at Built Bar because it's the new year, which means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, include Built Bar in your plan. I had a peanut butter brownie for lunch today at work, and they are protein bars that taste like candy bars. They're absolutely delicious. They're probably better than candy bars, and they're healthy. It makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes really good, so you'll want to eat it, but it's also healthy. They're full of protein. Low on calories, low on sugar, low on carbs. You've got to try them 100% covered in chocolate. Tons and tons of flavor. Again, I love that peanut butter brownie. I love the mint chocolate, but there's so many that no matter what you like, they'll have something for you. You've got to try them. Go to Built.com 
Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That promo code again is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thank you as always for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day for your second listen. Of course, Locked On Lakers could be a way to go as the Pacers take them on tonight. Big win for the Lakers on Monday against the Jazz. I wanted to do today's show about the trade market in general and my kind of targets and general thoughts for this Pacers team. This Turner injury is big enough of a story to me to change my schedule up a little bit, but I will include some trade thoughts in today's show. And I'll start with Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish got traded to the Knicks for a Kevin Knox in a lottery protected or a top 18 protected, I forget, first round pick. Some Pacers fans were upset about that. And I will start by saying that I understand that Cam Reddish is the kind of guy that the Pacers should kind of be thinking about, I think. Young guys who have the potential to pop. I don't think Cam Reddish is that good, so I'm kind of coming from a position of weakness here in my argument in general, but risky players like that I don't kind of think fit the billing. Sorry, risky expensive players like that I don't kind of think fit the billing of what the Pacers should be trying to do right now. Like giving up a first for a guy who could be good but could not be for a team that is headed down the path the Pacers might be headed down is extremely risky. And I know their own drafting hasn't been awesome, but I would rather them keep their own picks than do something like that. Where Reddish's highs are obviously very high, but if you watch him all the time, it's like his defense is never really there, and he's always you know he, he's never in rhythm or with the team. It, it's hard to explain. He just feels off, and he 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 does have nights where he pops and looks very good, and that is why, of course, he's very tantalizing as a trade piece. But that's not the kind of thing that I think makes sense for the Pacers. The thing I make the thing that makes sense to me for the Pacers is either if you're trading a pick like that or you're trading for a young guy, you better be pretty dang sure that they're going to be good. Like, I'll include some examples because I have a pretty long list of names. Like, like Miles Bridges is on my list. And, like, Miles Bridges is obviously already very good. Like, that's a guy you could be willing to give up stuff for if you're the Pacers because you know he's going to be on your team for a while and he's good already, right? That's kind of one, right? Cam Johnson with the Suns, same kind of deal. They're already good, I think those kind of things are the stuff that if you're the Pacers and you're giving up a pick to move into the trade market, you'd be a little more willing to do. And so Cam Reddish trade, I get why the Pacers would have done it. And Zach Lowe and other outlets reported that they were interested in Cam Reddish. And it makes sense to me why they would be. He's a young player who plays an important position and has shown high flashes. And he would get more minutes on the Pacers probably than the Hawks. Like There are a lot of reasons why I get why they would have done it. That price is fair for him. Obviously, that's the trade that happened. I would have been pretty hesitant, and some of that's just because, again, my opinions on Cam Reddish in general. But that style of player is is pretty tough for the Pacers. On the flip side, if they want guys like Cam, young guys who kind of have wild potential, yeah, that makes some sense. They just got to be they got to be careful about giving up too much for that kind of guy. Like on my list of guys, for example, one of them on here. Why can I not read? I know his name is on here. It's Darius Baisley, right from the Thunder, who. Plays the four for them and is, is kind of inefficient, but can absolutely jump out of the gym and maybe he puts it together on defense one day. You never want to give up a first for a guy like Darius Baisley. You know, he's never proven anything in the league, really. He's just got a lot of exciting pieces, but like you can never have too many bites of the apple with these athletic wings, right? So why not? And if the price is what they had to give, the Knicks had to give up for Reddish, no, you don't do that. But if it's a very, very late first, or if it's a, a high second or a couple seconds, I would absolutely do something like that. So to me, there's a lot of rambling words about the Cam Reddish trade to say, I think that, that that middle ground is what the Pacers should actually try to avoid this. You know, 
maybe he's a boomer bust kind of guy. And boomer bust sounds really exciting if you're the fan because you hear the word boom and like he could be great. And I definitely have a couple. Again, I'm projecting a little about my camera thoughts. I have probably one or two boomer bust guys on my own list for sure of like they could not be awesome. Actually, I don't know if any of them would be considered boomer bust besides Christian Wood. But I think the Pacers kind of need to avoid that. Because of, of where they're at, right? If, the, if they go bust on a lot of these guys and give up stuff for them, they'd be in a lot of trouble. Like they don't have a good enough thing already or a good enough core already in place to be able to take that kind of risk at this deadline. So so obviously that is also talked about from like kind of a buying position. But those are young. A lot of the names on my list are young players, right? They, I don't think they should be. Uh, there are a couple positions where I think it makes sense for them to get a vet to see how they fit around Duarte and, and Biggs. And I think obviously the answer is wings there because they don't have good wings right now. So I have a few vets on my list too. But I think the way that, that Kevin Pritchard has always operated is we'll see him trade for guys who are under contract for a long time and are young or guys who are kind of underutilized and young who have already proven that they can be good. Or if he does the boomer bust thing, it's going to be for low value kind of stuff. And I think that that's kind of the position they have to operate from. I don't think they have a strong enough core right now to be getting a lot of boomer bust pieces. And so – when they're selling off these vets for whatever they get back, that's a little different because you're not giving up an asset that's going to be on your team going forward. But still, you, I think they should try to either you know, go the riskier route instead of a second rounder or go the much more proven route with some of these vets. And I think that you know, the, more I, the more I see the reactions to the Camerata's trade from Pacerlander, the more I just in general see how, who people want. As the tra- who some of the people who I who I follow and, and interact with who they say oh this guy makes sense for the Pacers I'm kind of like I don't know about that as much I think there's some other names that make a little bit more sense but that's a show for another day to get through all those names although I did just name like four or five of them so maybe I should just do it at this point I just think that the Pacers need to be careful about being risky and I get that being risky is, is something you have to do at times again getting Cam Reddish would have made sense to me, but they can't be thinking too much about trades like that in their position. They're already in a very risky position where they're 15 and 29, despite spending like the 15th most in the league and thinking that this core could make the playoffs. Getting out of something like this is very, very difficult. And they've never been a team that picks in the top 10 or kind of slides in that direction. They, they, it's, it's kind of uncharted territory for this organization. It's not that they don't know how to do it. Pritchard's picked number one before, but it is a, something that they have to consider going forward as assessing risk and and being able to give up first round kind of guys so i guess w- this segment for me is more about less about uh, any specific trade and more about risk assessment and how the pacers should handle that let me know what you think and if i just was rambling there but it's something i wrote down today that i wanted to talk about hope you guys enjoyed today's show if you can follow me on twitter at t east nba if you'd like to yell at me for some of these thoughts or the show at locked on pacers hope you guys have a great day tomorrow we'll be talking lakers and the thursday game against the Warriors should be a good one. Every team plays their best against the Lakers. Hope everybody had a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.